0: Welcome back to season five of That's What She Did podcast. We're dedicated to amplifying the voices of the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you don't already know. We highlight everyday women who are impacting today's social issues, while also centering the voices of women of color. In short, we curate the stories of brilliant women. This season, we're bringing you Women Who Disrupt. Each episode, you're going to hear from an impactful and inspiring woman, push your thinking, challenge your assumptions, and most importantly, inspire you to find a way to create impact in your corner of the world. I'm Tangia Renee, creator and host of That's What She Did. Thank you for joining me and your fellow inspiration junkies as we learn from and connect with today's brilliant women. Hey friends, it's me, your host, Tangie Renee, and you are listening to Season 5, Episode 6 of That's What She Did podcast. Before we get started, I want to send out a quick heartfelt thanks to all the listeners and supporters of the show. I know that we are in the midst of an incredibly stressful, unprecedented and completely unsettling time. And our show listenership has continued to grow during this time. And I just want to say thank you so so much from the bottom of my heart for continuing to tune in every week to hear from the show and from our guests, and for making space in your lives for it in the midst of what is just a wild, unprecedented, constantly changing world. Um, I hope that the show will continue to be a source of inspiration, or maybe it's a reprieve in the middle of the wildness of everything. Whatever the show means to you, I just appreciate you so much. I know that the guests appreciate you showing up as well, and I just can't thank you enough. So I wanted to do that really quickly as things are progressing in the world and we're all trying to figure it out together. I thank you for continuing to support this show and share this show with your friends and family because that's the whole reason that we're growing and it's because of you. Again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now I want to introduce you to this week's guest and I have for you Zahira Kelly Cabrera. Also known as Bad Dominicana. She is an Afro Dominican mommy, writer, DJ, songstress, visual artist, award winning socio cultural critic, and international speaker. She's known for advocating for Latinegra visibility and rights in an unfiltered approach. Her writing has appeared in many publications such as the New York Times, Latina Magazine, Vibe, and the BBC, among many others. She's noted for her indigenous style of storytelling with no-holds-barred approach to analysis and critique of culture, colonialism, and social power dynamics from an anti-colonial Afro-Latina perspective. I've been following Bad Dominicana on social media for a little while now and she's incredible and I'm so thrilled to have her on the show this week as part of our Women Who Disrupt series. She is 100% a disruptor and I am so excited to have her here. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode, everyone. Uh, to That's What She Did podcast, the Women Who Disrupt season. I'm really thrilled to bring to you Zahira Kelly, AKA Bad Dominicana, who is out here disrupting all kinds of things with her very creative self. Miss uh, <laughs> Bad Dominicana is a writer, a social critic a DJ, a visual artist, a singer, a songwriter, all, she's all of the things in the creative arts space, Um, and on top of that, using her talents and skills to create disruption in multiple ways in the world. So I'm really excited to explore this conversation around what does it mean to be a disruptor, what does it mean to be a disruptive woman, while having positive impact in the world. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's definitely my pleasure. You know, as I shared with you before, I've been following you on um, Instagram for a little while. It came to my attention through through actually my editor was like, you should probably follow this person. I think that you would uh, like her a lot. And I was like, okay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so I started following and, you know, this happens to me all the time because I'm always, you know, curating for the show. Like who is the next brilliant woman we should feature? And um you know luckily there's lots of them I don't think we'll ever run out of material (laughs) on this show um but But I've been following you for a while and uh we started recording for this season and I circled back and I was like man I should have asked her to be on I'm just gonna ask her She's probably busy but I'm just gonna ask her and see if she's available (laughs) so thank you I
1: appreciate it
0: I'm honored and humbled Definitely my pleasure. So I definitely want to explore this topic with you. You know, one thing I noticed that's very clear in your social media, but, you know, in the work that you're doing in the arts field is that you have a very strong voice speaking, I think, truth to feminism, speaking truth to, you know, the larger Latino community and the diaspora around anti-Blackness um, and so I just want to i want to get to how did you get to this place? How did you find yourself in this space of doing arts and activism?
1: For me, I would say it was a natural progression. Like, um, I didn't understand that I was necessarily doing art that went against the grain as a kid. Mm-hmm. Because I was always drawing women like the women that I saw that were around me, mm-hmm. you know? You know, like, I, I I, was always very into, like, just the femme form. And I was always trying, like, girls of color with, like, bamboo earrings and, you know, styled like we are usually styled with our kind of body types, mm-hmm. with our kind of hair. And I remember in, like, junior high, my art teacher at school, like, you know, white teachers... I would draw a body that looked just like my grandmother's, which is like a small waist with big hips, you know, and and they would be like, uh, that's not realistic. People don't really look like that. Oh, no, they do. You know? (laughs) And then I would just be like, okay, like, and I was like, you know, a bratty teenager at the time. So I just kind of rolled my eyes and kept doing whatever I wanted, which was that. And like at the time, I just felt like, you know, I was being stubborn you know like i mm-hmm. didn't understand that i was actually pushing back against you know white supremacist ideals mm-hmm. and norms you know but it's just what felt natural to me like um because in high school honestly they, they only teach you how to draw white people and then everyone <laughs> else is deemed unrealistic mm-hmm. like literally you know
2: um
1: so there was that eventually um how I started to make a name for myself was uh, I belonged to like this forum that was like for black natural hair. And like in that forum, like that was so formative to me. Not only did I learn how to like bite back at all the trolls on the internet and just like, you know, the really annoying people. um, Like I've seen it all since then, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I also just found a community of black women from all over the world who like it made it so clear that we actually all go through the same issues, despite being in different places geographically, you know, because mm-hmm. anti-blackness is a global thing. Right. So it was like, we're talking about our hair issues and like, I'm Dominican. I wasn't really um, taught a lot about race. It was all about nationality instead. Cause you know, that's how it is when you're Latin America, for the most part, mm-hmm. people kind of stick to the nationality part and like gloss over the race, even though even though there's colorism mm-hmm. and anti-blackness and like whiteness is favored and all of these things. Um so I was like unsure of myself and what to even identify as at the time. I was like maybe twenty, twenty one. And those women on the forum were like, girl, shut up, you're black. <laughs> <laughs> like and that's exactly what i needed like through that i mean i also learned like black women are the best at not only checking you but also affirming you and setting you the fuck straight Mm -hmm. you know and like i needed that i needed to be checked and i needed to be affirmed you know Mm -hmm. that it wasn't something that i was like imagining it's like no i actually grew up a black girl and even though the latin american community or like dominican community for example does not like to admit to blackness like that's still my experience mm-hmm. and that is why it's mirrored in this form of all of these black women so while i was in community with all these black women on the internet you know um i decided i wanted a tattoo a pin-up tattoo because i was really into i still am really into like retro americana type stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: but like i kept googling and googling and googling all i came up with was white women
2: mm, and it's yeah. like
1: i'm not about to like put a white woman on my body for the rest of my life. Like I already have the whole rest of the world pushing me in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not going to like glorify them on myself. And suddenly I remember like, wait, I can draw, I can do this myself. So I did do a pinup and suddenly I had tons of commissions from women on that forum. Like, can you do one of me? Can you do one of me? Because it just turned out like they didn't have any representation in that way. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find images of themselves either. And they wanted to see themselves in that way, you know? Um, Black women in general are kind of, like, just denied femininity and being delicate or soft or any of those things. And, like, pinups kind of, like, represent a lot of that.
2: Um,
1: These days, for a while, I was the only person that would come up, the only art that would come up when you looked up black pinups. Oh, Um, really? Fast forward, like... Fifteen years later, and there's tons, but there was a time where like I was really the only one doing this. Um, and it was just because like, why not? why do I not deserve to exist? It, it didn't even have to be that deep. It was just simply that like you know, and, and I did get pushback. It's like, um I'm considered a niche artist because I focus on black women, but if I had focused on drawing white women, I would be considered universally relatable somehow.
0: That's interesting. You know?
1: So black women are not universally relatable, but white women are somehow, you know, that's white supremacy in a nutshell. Um eventually I started like a blog on Tumblr from my art, and mm. I started seeing these communities on Tumblr that were just like a bunch of women and femme people and queer people just constantly like fighting back, resisting, challenging every norm and I was like this feels like home. So I started a blog separate from that. I didn't even tell anybody my name. I didn't show my face for like the first 3 years. Um and I actually grew an audience on there. I still have like 12,000 followers on Tumblr. Um because like one of my first posts was basically like, you know, if I don't exist in the popular imagination or in books or in media, um, do I even exist? I I was just kind of grappling with being a Black woman, a Mm -hmm. Latin American woman, a woman, you know, and a bunch of other things, you know, that that come into play. And just being invisible in my own Latin American community, being invisible in the American community, Mm -hmm. and just like, where is my place? it kind of, like, started from there. I, I, I was, like, shouting into the abyss, I thought, and people started shouting back, like, I get this. I understand, you know. Um, from there on, like, you know, I eventually get got hit up for, like, columns, uh, to write a column, to, mm-hmm. for articles, um, interviews. Eventually, people put two and two together when I was, like, in a New York Times article for my art. People were like, wait, that's Dominicana. And, like, I had to just eventually start saying my name showing my face or whatever and Mm -hmm. kind of merge the two eventually but it was like a real progression it was me finding myself and survival Mm
2: -hmm. as well
1: i was just going through a lot of things that i had to process and that blog was just me kind of like letting it out and venting and processing it in real time in public
0: hey friends This episode is brought to you by Trade and Travel, a game-changing online course created by our episode one guest, Terry Igioma, founder of Invest with Terry. Terry is on a mission to teach at least a thousand people how to make a thousand dollars per day. Imagine what you could do with an extra thousand dollars in a month, let alone making that much in a single day. That's why I'm excited that Terry has made her game-changing program Trade and Travel widely available. I'm going to take the course, and you can take it too. All you have to do is use the link in the show notes to get access to the course now. Let's learn how to make $1,000 in a day together. I mean, who couldn't use an extra $1,000? I know I can. I mean, who am I? Mike Bloomberg? Of course I could use an extra $1,000. People who have taken the course are actually able to quit their jobs so they can travel the world with all the money they've made learning how to master the stock market. And I'm not ashamed to say that I want that life. You guys, let's trade and travel together. Just click on the link in the show notes and get started now. Use link bit.ly forward slash she did invest to learn how to get started with trade and travel. So how did you continue to press forward? I mean, everything that you were doing was, I think, disruptive in its own way. And when you're doing that in in the face of the mainstream, that's always trying to shut you down, especially since you started from such a young age. How did you keep yourself going and keep yourself moving forward on this path that was true to who you really were?
1: I, you know, I was going to mention that when you said, you know, somebody making a positive impact and it's like when you're a disruptor, not everyone sees that as positive. Mm -hmm. If anything, you're seen as really negative for kind of just shaking the table Mm -hmm. and messing with people's long-held messed up perceptions. So, you know, blogging came with a lot of hate mail. When I left Tumblr, I had like literally um over seven thousand hate mail in my inbox from all kinds of people literally all kinds that you can possibly imagine everyone except for black trans women has sent me hate mail
2: interesting
1: <laughs> like yeah um it started out with white feminists actually because i challenged their norms and like their like perception of things mm-hmm. um um and from there on it was just like tons like Latin Americans, even Dominicans, that's how I got the name bad Dominicana because they kept telling me I'm such a bad Dominican. <laughs> I'm a terrible example because I'm challenging anti-blackness, I'm to challenging their homophobia, mm-hmm. I'm challenging their machismo, you know, like why can't I just be a good girl? A good Dominican is someone who doesn't challenge any of those things, who is not a disruptor. Mm-hmm. You know? Um that's come with people even from my own like black women community, like doxing me posting pictures of my ex-husband identifying tattoos my daughter our work address my voters are just all kinds of really violent things just for me speaking out about things mm-hmm. honestly um and it was really violent and maybe if I was someone else and less stubborn I would have given up I know I've had a, a million reasons but the thing is this, is a, this has been tied to my survival mm-hmm. it's almost like um i couldn't give up living so i couldn't give up the work either mm. they're hand in hand you know i'm not just doing it just because i it's, i think it's right in everything i do but it's also because it's how i stay alive right to be honest so um that's kind of been it it's really a matter of survival and um for a long time that was just my dream like will there be a time when this is not just like me scratching and calling to survive and I've reached sort of a point where I was like that and then honestly this whole coronavirus stuff has happened and I've lost so many (laughs) And gigs and yeah. events or whatever. And I'm just like, okay, this is a little bit shaky right now. I'm hoping that, you know, it levels out eventually, but mostly I'm in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, in the process of that, like when I talk about survival, like say I started the hashtag, maybe he doesn't hit you, like trended like
2: mm-hmm.
1: globally. And then I did it in Spanish. But when I did that, I was literally in that situation. Mm-hmm you know, and I didn't have any way to really talk about it. So I had to talk about it vaguely. Um, And it was just me trying to document things so I couldn't keep being gaslighted and just me venting because it was just so much that I had had to process in those last like 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, that has always been about survival. Honestly, just staying alive. If it was just about myself, like I'm going to be honest with you. I actually would have quit a long time ago but I have a child
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm committed to taking care of her. I planned for her. I I I vowed to do so. So it's bigger than me now. When I say I need to stay alive it's more so because I need to stay alive for her, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not even that important in the big picture to me, you know. So with everything, like, that just you, being honest.
0: Sure. So with everything that you have learned through your art and through engaging um, digitally on these tough topics around feminism and anti-blackness, and um, you know, working with the trans and queer communities, what have you? You know, what have been the biz- biggest lessons you've taken away taken away that you want to teach to your daughter?
1: Um. Really, I've just learned a lot about um, humility and knowing where you stand and your place. Knowing when to shut the fuck up, when it's not your place to be talking. Mm-hmm. Um, When you have privileges over other people. Um, it's just like, um, and using your position, whatever position, what little position you might have. To boost people who are structurally under you. Mm -hmm. Those are all things that I've learned really, um, like hands on, basically. Um, And I try to sort of teach her about that too, like not only about herself, but also to look beyond herself. Mm -hmm. Because there are still going to be people who are seen as below her, you know, and to just be aware of that. And not defensive about it and not take it personally and not try to deny it either because that's inhumane. Also, she knows more about colonialism than a lot of like most grown people, to be honest. <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, yeah. And that's just like a byproduct of being a child of mine, you mm-hmm. know, just overhearing me talking and the work that I do. She goes to my talks, too. Mm -hmm. um sometimes um because I'm a single mom I have to take her with me Mm -hmm. sometimes she's being raised very differently from me in that way and that she's very aware of how the world works in a way
0: that wasn't until I was like in my 20s -hmm. no I think that's such a good thing Mm -hmm. you know in your in your um work your your art and your your social commentary there's there's a, you know, a persistent theme of you challenging the status quo. I mean, you really challenged the idea of traditional feminism. And I'm curious to know what you think about feminism needs to be challenged and changed or disrupted in some way at this point in time. I mean, right now there's still a
1: ways to go. Um, if we're talking about Latin American context. Um. When we think about feminism, black women are not even an afterthought. They're just not a thought. Period.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. So, what does it mean when you focus on your oppression and you like basically think nothing of the women who are under your foot? I don't know that that's very feminist. So that has to be challenged.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, I'm reminded of uh, this article written by like this uh this white Chilean guy. He uh was talking about sexism in Latin American media. And I remember I added him and I was like, you said not a single word about the fact that black women are are in Latin America and that they're not even in the media. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like, what does that, what does sexism mean for us that you're not covering? You -hmm. know, like you guys are dealing with Tique Machista undertones on TV, but we're not even there. So does sexism even look the same for me? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if that's not part of the conversation, like what conversation are you even having? Is that valid? Mm. And what use could it ever, and what use and re- relevance could it ever have to me, you know? Mm. Anyway, at that point in time, he told me this was about regular Latinas.
0: Um, regular. I am not
1: a regular one. We're a topic for later. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that was a guy, but like, honestly, that sentiment is buried all over Latin America.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As soon as you mention the fact that Black women are not being taken into account, it's like, but we're all women. We're not all women the same hmm You know, um, brown Latinas are not treated the same as white American women. Black women are not treated the same as bl- brown Latinas. Indigenous women in Latin America are not treated the same as mestizas.
2: hmm
1: You know, trans women of any color are not treated the same as cis women. We're not all women the same. All of these things intersect. Disabled women are not treated the same as women who are able-bodied.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, when I think about feminism in Latin America, again, I just remember like Miami, for example, where white Latino men would hold the door open for white Latinas who would be walking through and slam the same door in my face, you know? So when we talk about these conversations of, oh, don't hold the door open for me, I am a strong woman. I'm just like, what makes me not a woman? Mm -hmm. Maybe I would like to have a door open for me for once in my fucking life. Because it's been like 600 years of subhumanity and being a fucking mule for society. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need a fucking break. Maybe I do need you to carry some stuff for me. But because I'm a black woman, that's not going to ever apply to me. I don't need that help. You know, I'm not a woman in that same way. So it's like, how can we talk about feminism as a general whatever and be like, well, we've already reached the goal of what this discourse should be if none of those things are taken into account. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, It gets way more complicated than that. You know, like mm-hmm. the little teachers talking about, I am not a princess. It's like, since when are Black Latinas considered princesses? How can that ever apply to me? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's just like, we're talking about really different, uh, very different things that we face. So my thing about feminism is, um, I actually acknowledge that that is a, a thing that happens for other people. Mm-hmm. But it's like, there has to be room in that feminism to acknowledge that my life is totally different from yours. As a woman. Because I'm a woman and because I'm also Black. Because I'm also poor. Yeah. You know, like, all of these things, like, intersectionality is a thing, you know. And through research, I mean, I realized that, um, say, for example, La Doctora Evangelina Rodriguez in the Dominican Republic, Mm -hmm. um, she was, like, the first female doctor. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: From the 30s, Um, correct? yeah. Yeah. Like, um... Oh, that's another thing. There's no credit given because, like, I actually broke that on the internet, like, that story after all the research that I did. Oh, really? And I was totally erased from it because I'm just a Black woman. So just like she was erased from history, I was erased from bringing her to light because, you know, it's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. So she was already into intersectional feminism and Black feminism and saying, like, we Black women are not treated the same.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. But when
1: you say those things, you're erased, you're vilified, just like she was in her lifetime, you know, Mm -hmm. and people just kind of like shelve you and they take the more um, palatable feminisms sort of. So it's just like, you know, this is not a completed project. There's
0: so much more to be said and done. So what um, do there's you... a lot
1: of things to challenge in feminism,
0: actually. Sure. Yeah. What do you think it takes to get to a place of real inter- intersectionality?
1: The missing point is just like actually extending that basic empathy to everyone mm-hmm. and respecting the stories of everyone, not just the ones that you are used to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There is no narrative for listening to Black women in Latin America
2: none Mm, whatsoever that's a good point the
1: most radical people will like just put like a mental block in front and not hear you about what your life is Mm -hmm. you know so how are you going to be intersectional if you do not even hear that people's experiences are different from yours it'll be like well i'm a racialized person well i go through this and it's just like and i go through something that is way more marginalized than your experience and this is not the oppression olympics right right But if you're going to act like you are empathetic and humane and radical, then you're going to have to listen to people who are under your foot. And if you don't, then what are you but just the status quo, basically?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Everyone has a problem dealing with that, basically. Nobody has any kind of idea what it is like to listen to Black women in Latin America, to love Black women in Latin America. Like Those narratives do not exist, basically. So that is what I'm up against all the time. I've lost patience at this point and that that's like really clear in the way that I address everything on the internet these days. I'm just like completely out of fucks at this point. Like it's been like fifteen years of like battling against the current and people saying the same messed up stuff over and over again and mm-hmm. just refusing. So it's like I don't try to hit you soft with it anymore. You know, this is what it is, you don't like it, well like you can go somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, like I'm just over it at this point
0: you know yeah I mean I think it's it's exhausting to be in that place where you're you're dealing with the same same bullshit over and over and over again and people are yeah
1: and it's just like when you're a black latina like there's also just the expectation that I'm going to have to explain that I exist Mm
2: -hmm.
1: on top of everything else I have to defend my existence every day like I'm just over it you know So the the narrative for Latin American does not include Black. Right. That's not what people think about when
0: they think about Latin American. Right. No, they think about Jennifer Lopez is what they think about. right?
1: So just that basic, I exist, is already hard for people.
0: Imagine all the rest, Mm
1: -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it gets tiring. (laughs) What
0: do you think of the term Afro-Latina? Because I know you use it, correct?
1: Yeah, I do. Even though it's become a little bit... um, politicized yeah it's it's become problematic mostly because it's become anti black and colorist
2: mm-hmm.
1: so so what's happening now is um it'll be like 18 Afro-Latinas to look out for and only 3 of them look black
0: okay so i'm not imagining this i saw i noticed this recently you know? yeah. yeah so it's just like
1: now if latin american this is already
0: for everyone who doesn't look black and then when you
1: would talk about black latinos you're also basically choosing people who don't look black over people who look black, like where you guys managed to make it anti-black somehow. Like Mm -hmm. I I joke about how, I don't know, non-black Latin Americans are the the most creative people with racism ever. Mm -hmm. Like God bless you or something. I'm being sarcastic, but like that's very creative of you. So now when we talk about Afro Latinos, it's not people who look black. Like these people don't even have nappy hair. Not for anything. I'm not saying that's what makes you black, but it's just like, there's certain things that you go through when you have Black physicality to you. And I'm not saying that those people don't have Black presence right. because, you know, genes are funny like that. But we are back at square one where the people who needed the representation are actually being erased from even their own designation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that is the way in that it's become problematic to me. And then, you know, in come all the um, light skin, good hair, tears about... What about me? You're erasing me. And it's like, you were never erased. Right. You always had a space. Yeah. You've always had a space. You
0: will always have a space.
1: hmm You know?
0: Yeah. It's really um, a fascinating conversation for me around this term because, you know, I'm, I'm mixed. I'm half Black. I'm half Latina. And, mm-hmm. and I started using it specifically because I wanted to point out the fact that I'm Black that like that's my actual race I'm just I'm very light and uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when I started to do it there were a lot of people that like were like well why won't you just say Latina and I was like because I'm not just Latina like I'm not gonna pretend right that's another one right this other part of me (laughs) doesn't exist it exists and so I make people acknowledge it and it makes them really uncomfortable. And that to me is fascinating where I'm like, why are you uncomfortable about my identity? it got not a mm-hmm. thing to do with you. Not a
1: thing. I, it, there, there are a lot of people in my family who are like that, who like are black, but maybe they won't necessarily be read as such. Mm-hmm. And I guess my whole thing with that is there is a way to navigate that. You can say that you are Afro-descendant, mm-hmm. but also just be mindful. Like if you find yourself in a space and you're the only Afro-Latino representi- representation that they looked for, and you happen to not look very black, you have to actually think to yourself, is this really the place that I should be in? Mm-hmm. Should I really be quiet about this? shouldn't I be asking some questions like, are you guys not going to get somebody darker skin, mm-hmm. somebody who looks more black? And should I not cede this space to somebody who needs the representation more? Yeah. I think- and I feel like that's the key to it, right. is that a lot of people are not doing that work. And my whole thing is, if you are proud of being black, you have to also be aware of where you stand and like actually center the people who need it most. Mm-hmm. You know? And that is the problem for me. Like, I don't have any issue with people calling themselves that, but it's just like them when it turns out that the majority of the representation is only people who don't look black. Then there's, then it's just like,
0: we have a big problem. We really went yeah. back to
1: square one. Mm-hmm. We have a
0: problem again, you know? What do you think it takes for Latinos to be advocates for Afro Latinos and create space for Black people in the conversation. I mean, I'm always taken aback. And I feel like at this point, I shouldn't be surprised. But I, I continue to be surprised when someone, especially a brown person, will say something to me that is clearly racist, but they feel mm-hmm. safe saying it to me because they look at me and they see light skin.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's really common. Um, how, honestly, people have to start doing their own work. Yeah. Like, we have so much to deal with already as Black people, mm-hmm. as Black Latinos. And then we also have to babysit and um, sort of, like, wrangle them and their issues at the same time. Yeah. Um, I would have to say, um, tied to this, is, like, I've done talks all over the country, different places of the world. Um, just in 2018, I was, like, at 22 different schools. Do you know what was the only school where I literally felt the audience like just enraged at the fact that I was speaking about the things that I was speaking. Where? And just like the most resentment it was in Texas and it was mostly non-black Latinos, like Mexican and Central American. Mm, That That was the most resentful crowd I have ever. Doesn't surprise me. Been up against. And after the fact they were like, well, why couldn't she be nicer? (laughs) You see, the thing is like, Halfway through, I sensed that energy and disdain, and when I sense that, I just go harder. Mm-hmm. That's my defense mechanism. I was like, "All right, I started out nice. Y'all mad? I am going to make you mad." I took off the gloves. Like, I'm not going to like, you know, coddle you about this shit. I'm just saying it straight up how it is, and it's just like um, Latin Americans have so many issues with just dealing with plain facts. Like, not for nothing, but we're fed a lot of bullshit Mm -hmm. from birth. A lot of colonial shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's, like, a lot of work to be done in terms of just plain old admitting the facts about where everybody stands. Like, I don't know. They have illusions about being closer to white than they are. And they have illusions about being so so far from Black people and having nothing to do with them. They, we don't exist in their country. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just like pariahs or whatever. Like, There's a lot of delusion involved and people do not want to hear that their whole life is a lie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can literally feel that pushback of how dare you basically points out all the fallacies and everything that I think that I know. hmm you know?
0: Yeah, no. no, I that doesn't surprise me at all that that's what you experienced. I've had my my whole <laughs> yeah. experiences, particularly in Texas, with you know other Latinos. In mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna go home. Like. Now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it's just like wow, that was yeah. interesting. Like it's just
1: sad when like you're so caught, and this is why I'm um, I'm with the whole Latinidad canceled thing that um, Alampelas began. Um, it's just like uh, if this is supposed to be my own people, and they honestly sometimes act worse than white supremacists. Then maybe these aren't my people. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is not a thing that's working. <laughs> you know, sure. Latino that
0: as a project is canceled.
1: <laughs> like this isn't working.
0: So for <laughs> you know Latinos out there that. Are in a place that they're ready to start exploring their role in this, in you know colorism and anti-blackness. Uh, can you think of some places they should go to learn more or things they should read? Um, it's just like I really
1: feel like you need to start at home, mm-hmm. not just in the literal sense, but also like whatever country you happen to be from, because you know we it's like a there's a ton of countries in that America. There is a black history in that country. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It does not matter what country it is. Like, do your diligence to actually read about and find that black history because it's Googleable. You do not even have to go to a library. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, if you have the time and energy for all this other stuff, and if you actually have the interest, then you can do this like, start there. And I say that because there's also this um, fake solidarity that happens that I've seen, like, people will have, like, Black Lives Matter in their bio, or they'll be like, oh, crickets are into a Yosinapa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, then you're like, okay, but what about the Black people in your country and it's just crickets? Because they're not trying to think about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's easier to imagine Black as something always outside of la- Latinos. You know, that you can latch on to, like, for a pat on the back and not have to confront that this is the formation of your country that all of the popular music genres and your food and even your religion is influenced by these black people that you insist do not matter and do not exist
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so like to me that's where you actually need to begin whatever country you are from look up the black history of your country because it exists i do not care if you are argentina the whitest country in latin america they still have a black history Mm -hmm. and their tango is black and there's a bunch of anti-black shit happening today there are things for you to research and find out about become an expert on your own country Mm -hmm. and it's totality not just non-blackness
0: that's good advice you know what i mean yeah that's good advice Um, so you, one thing that you said that, that stands out to me is when you were talking to the school and and you were sensing the hostility from the audience, you said, you just, you just go harder. You're not here to coddle anybody. And that is exactly what somebody who has a disruptor spirit about them would do, (laughs) I think. So for you, what does it mean to be a woman who disrupts?
1: It is. It is a difficult path. Mm-hmm. That's, that is um, the short version of it. Like, it's very fulfilling. I have honestly forged a path for myself that I had never seen before because I just lack representation in, in general.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had nobody to look to. I forged my own path, my own um, career, my own just way of being. On my own, out of sheer stubbornness and the need to just challenge everything that I was taught, everything that I knew. Um, because I grew up with all of those messed up ideas too. Mm-hmm. I just took it upon myself to undo them, you know? Um, it's just a path that you have to be prepared for because there is a lot of pushback, there's a lot of vilification. Mm-hmm involved especially when you're a black girl period you know like especially when you're a black latina you get hate from other black people too because there's already a sense of resentment there's even xenophobia from other black people mm-hmm. so it's just like um any kind of pushing back and making yourself visible when people are really invested in you not even existing is going to be difficult is what i learned um yeah Yeah, it's just, you have to be ready. It is, it's a battle. It's a struggle, honestly. There's nothing easy about it.
0: With as hard as it is. But it is gratifying.
1: It's, it to me, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I, it's like, I am the most fulfilled. I feel the most empowered than I ever have, you know? Mm -hmm. I am the most sure of myself. I love myself because even self-love is like resistance when you're not supposed to even like, like yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's like I'm a stronger person. I'm a better person because of all of that as well, you know? Right. And also the impact because, I mean, not for nothing, but I don't necessarily think about the impact that I'm going to have like on other people, mostly because I consider myself just like a small speck in the grand scheme of things, you know, mm-hmm. but realizing that I have had an impact that even the fact that afro became a trend was in part in great part because I kept pushing that conversation against the current until it became the current,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know. So even though I'm erased from all of the history of all of these things, I and the people around me still know who I am and what I've done. And that is also gratifying. And just like, say, for example, the maybe he doesn't hit you hashtag. I never imagined that so many people would be hitting me up afterwards saying I was finally able to leave this horrible situation. Mm -hmm. This made me realize what was happening in my life because I could not suss it out. You know, Mm -hmm. like just knowing that people have been helped by that and empowered by that and are stronger and better for it. Like that makes it worth it despite all the, the pushback and the violence that comes with it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. So through all of this, what is the impact that you want to have in the world? The impact that I want to have? Mm-hmm. I don't know that
1: I necessarily want to have an impact, but it's <laughs> happened anyway. Mm-hmm. Fair enough <laughs> because honestly that's what happens when you're disrupted mm-hmm. you may be not be you may not be thinking about the larger scale of the impact but people are impacted by you just being like nope mm-hmm. that everything they said yes to mm-hmm. it opens doors in their head it opens doors like in the world in general so I mean I can only hope I'm humbled if I have an impact But what I really hope to keep doing is surviving and trying my best at doing so and just continue to challenge things um, publicly and and also in private. Um, Because things are changing slowly but surely because of all of these basically um, challenging Mm -hmm. that we're doing. Um, But yeah. Maybe I, I'm not sure if I have some sort of imposter syndrome or if I'm too modest or if I, it's like one of those, like I have issues and still have some low self-esteem issues left over, but I don't like to think about doing things because I'm going to like, I don't know, somehow change other people's life. Mm -hmm. You know?
0: Does that feel arrogant?
1: It feels arrogant to me. I don't know why. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but like, I hit a wall right there. Mm -hmm. Even though everything tells me that there is an impact to be made and that I have made it, I'm just like scared of even approaching that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think that's fair. I mean, it's. I don't know. I think you. Everybody's doing the best. Well, not everybody. I think a lot of us are doing the best that we can. A lot of us are
1: doing what we can, <laughs> yeah. you know.
0: And you do what you can with what you love. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for all your contributions and, and all your hard work. Um, it's nice to know that some of the things that have meant a lot to me can be traced back to you and your labor and all the things that you're doing in the world. So thank you.
1: I appreciate the space and recognition very much.
0: My pleasure. Um, We're going to call it a day, folks. This was an incredible conversation with uh, Zahira on the question of what does it mean to be a woman who disrupts. I think what we've been exploring this season is all the different ways that women, particularly Black, Indigenous, and women of color, are doing that in the world and creating ripple effects that I think are creating positive impacts in the world. And so we want to make sure we are giving that work a voice and that's what we're doing with this podcast. So thank you all for joining us for another week, for giving us your time, your attention, your eardrums. And most of all, thank you for your shares. Your support of this show is what has grown it to last check 78 countries. Um, so please continue to share our work and keep engaging with us let us know what you want to hear in future seasons we have some big plans coming up with an accompanying blog and all kinds of things so stay tuned again thank you for joining us on the show Zahira aka Bad Dominicana I just want to call you that all the time (laughs) (laughs) you can